This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. All right, y'all can be seated. That was quite the mouthful. Um, But yeah, so we are continuing our series through the Psalms uh, that we started a few years ago. And so over the summer, we've been kind of slowly working through the Psalms, one Psalm at a time. And so uh, we're in the Psalms this week and one more week next week before we kind of move on to other sermon series. Uh, But um, the reason I'm up here again is because Aaron kind of had a last minute trip to go uh, officiate a wedding for his dad. And so, um, yeah, fun time for them. But I'm happy to uh, sit in here and walk through Psalm 37 with us. Um, And so Psalm 37, I think it's interesting for a a few different reasons. And so uh, one of the things that we continually say about the Psalms is that it gives us language in how to approach God and how to talk to him in the midst of a lot of different emotions. And so whenever you read through most Psalms, they're very vertically oriented. And so there's, there's some talking to other people, but they're, they're vertically oriented for the most part. This psalm is different. This psalm is more horizontally oriented. And so when you listen, it doesn't address God himself. It addresses other people. And so it reads kind of more like wisdom literature. Uh, the next book is, is Proverbs. And so it reads like the Proverbs do. And so it, it almost has more in common with the Proverbs than it does with, with the psalms. Um, another thing that makes this psalm interesting, it is one of eight uh, uh, dang, acrostic psalms. I forgot the word. Uh, and it's, yeah, we've seen one of those just a few weeks ago uh, with Psalm 34. Uh, you'll notice this one's about twice as long. Uh, the Hebrew alphabet didn't grow in between the writing. Uh, this psalm uses two verses per letter instead of one verse per letter. And so that's kind of an overarching structure um, of this psalm. Uh, but you'll see kind of as we move through it, uh, it's not just the acrostic structure. We'll see kind of three distinct movements as we can continue to move uh, through the song. But um, another interesting thing about the song is it, it, it kind of picks up right where Psalm 36 leaves off, which we don't often get that. I mean, each psalm, in a sense, stands on its own in terms of context. Psalm 36 doesn't necessarily uh, interpret Psalm 37, but, uh, and I don't know if it was arranged this way on purpose. We know that David wrote both of them, uh, but Psalm 36 leaves off with the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. And Psalm 37 says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. And so the thing that connects these two Psalms is this theme of the evildoers. So fun. So, <laughs> um, and so as kind of as I thought about how to set up this Psalm, uh, I was thinking, what's a good definition for an, an evildoer? And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that we don't really need a definition for, for an evildoer. That's something that we kind of innately know when we see. I mean, the reason being is because we're all created in God's image. And we all know, have some sort of basic rudimentary understanding of what is good and what is evil. And so uh, essentially it is is root definition. The evildoer is one who lives contrary to the way that God designed us to live. And so uh, God designed us to live for his glory. God designed us to to rejoice and delight in in his presence. And so an evildoer is opposite of that. They uh, operate off of and and act off of uh, their own glory. And they seek satisfaction in, in their own goodness. And out of that, a lot of fruits arise. Out of that is where we get the doing part of the evil. 
And so, um, yeah, essentially throughout this psalm, uh, as you heard whenever we read it, uh, it, it permeates with God's justice. And we're going to see that the, the righteous and the wicked are kind of juxtaposed and they're, they're, they're contrasted, whereas the righteous, they have God's provision, they have his sustenance, they have salvation from God, from Yahweh, whereas the wicked, they meet God's judgment. And so we'll get into that later, uh, but uh, as we move through this psalm, essentially we see uh, David is encouraging the righteous to wait on the Lord. And as he encourages them to wait on the Lord, we see this, this first section, verses 1 through 11, it's just, it's stocked full of commands, full of imperatives, full of things to do um, on how to wait on the Lord with a patient spirit. And uh, then uh, the next section, it, it talks about how as we wait on the Lord, we have a hidden helper who uh, might not be incredibly apparent in the day-to-day -day worldly affairs, but he is... He's certain. And then uh, in the last part, we have, uh, as we, he encourages us, to, encourages us to, as we wait, to play the long game. And so that's kind of where we're going today. Um, let me pray before we dive in, because uh, we need the Spirit to work in our hearts this morning. God, um, we're thankful that we have the opportunity to gather here together um, to worship you and sing your praises and to reflect on your beauty and your goodness. God, I'm thankful that you've given us this body to, to encourage one another and um, to continue to, to facilitate each of us being uh, molded more and more into your image. And so God, I pray that uh, this morning as we, as we gather today, we all come with just varying degrees of distraction, uh, varying degrees of unsettledness, uh, varying degrees of... Um, yeah, just not being focused on you. But God, I pray that you would center our hearts. I pray that your spirit would work within us, that would draw us into yourself so that we might delight in you. And God, I pray that any words that uh, I speak, they're empty because I speak a lot of empty words. I pray that they would fall flat. But God, I pray that you would speak through me and those words would uh, minister to our hearts and draw us closer into you so that we might even forget the evildoers um, and the consequences of the, the things that they do. We put them out of our mind. But God, uh, I pray that you would draw us into your gospel and you would be gracious to us and um, we would delight in you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Cool. So uh, jumping in, uh, says uh, of David, so David wrote this psalm. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. And so uh, we're going to spend a little bit more time in this first section, I think, uh, and so just because there's so much here. But uh, when I think of the word fret, I think it's kind of trite. Like, I've never told anybody not to fret. I don't know if you have. Maybe you have a more robust vocabulary than I do. But I, I mean, I tell people, don't worry about it. Uh, forget about it. Uh, don't think about it. Put it out of your mind. Uh, but I think that those things don't really capture the definition of what it means to fret, what David's saying with, when he says don't fret. When he says fret, it, it's, it's more of a, a, an unsettledness or it being worked up. It's like an anger at something that is, that is wrong. And the context here is uh, not to get worked up over evildoers because they seem to be getting away with evil. And even being getting, getting away with it, they seem to be 
rewarded for it. And so I think there's another psalm that I think helps us understand uh, this, this sentiment a little bit. In Psalm 73, uh, it's, it's written by a guy named Asaph, who is not David, but he served as a Levite in David's court. He sang in front of the, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, but in Psalm 73, he starts off, he says, truly God is good to Israel, to his people, to those who are pure in heart. And so he starts off with that truth, that anchor. But then he says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he goes on to, def- to illustrate what he means by that. He says, those who do, do evil, they not only get away with it, but they seem to have an easy life. They don't struggle. They're, they're rich. They're well off. Uh, they don't suffer like those who keep their hearts pure. All to the point of exasperation where in verse 13 he says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. And so that is fretting over evildoers. That's being worked up because of uh, seeing evil as evil and seeing it persist. And seeing not only, not only persist, but those who do that evil seem to be rewarded in this world. Thankfully, that psalm doesn't end there. It goes on, uh, but that's not the psalm we're in today. I think that illustrates kind of what David is talking about when he says, don't fret because of evildoers. Um, and so I think too, like, I think it's, it's hard for us not to be there, isn't it? I mean, we all see evil in the world. Like, uh, this is very silly. <laughs> this is very silly. But this morning, I'm uh, trying to prepare for the sermon. I, I got up early, and all of a sudden, my dog starts barking, and I hear these chains out in front. Uh, and I look out, and there's this uh, car being dropped. And I see uh, this giant gash in my yard from the, the car being dropped. And I work hard at my yard to keep it clean. And so I go out and I talk to the guy and apparently this car was blocking an alleyway and the cop told him to drop it right in front of my house. And this is very silly. This is, this is not a huge injustice, but my heart was fretting because of evildoers because somebody parked their car blocking an alleyway and now I have a junk car in front of my house with a rim for a tire and a gash in my yard. I was fretting because of evildoers even this morning. But, uh, I mean, at work, like, maybe you have somebody who uh, they got a position by lying on their resume, or uh, maybe somebody stole an idea. I actually have a coworker this week who kind of was remembering some old ideas that he had and how somebody took those, ran with them, and now has a prominent position at a company and makes a lot of money. But where do you turn to when you when world, the world is all you have. So David says, fret not because of evildoers. And then he goes on and he gives us some more commands, and I'm thankful for that. He doesn't say just don't fret, don't get worked up. He gives us things to do. And uh, there's a lot of commands throughout the section, and I think uh, it can be summed up in a few different ways. Um, they can kind of be consolidated. But first off, he tells us uh, not to fret, but... Uh, he tells us to, in order not to fret, he tells us to, to look ahead towards what's coming. And so in verse 2, he says, For they, the evildoers, will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And so those things are beautiful for a time. They look good. Like driving around Colorado right now with all the rain we've had this year, like the countryside is brilliantly green. But come end of September, October, it's going to be withered away. It's going to be brown. It's going to be ugly. Um, 
Then in verse 10, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. And so David's telling us to look ahead to a time when there is going to be no more wicked, no more unrighteous, no more evil doing. And so uh, I like the way, too, how John talks about it in, in 1 John. Um, he says in 1 John 2, 17, he says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of the Lord abides forever. He says the world and its desires are passing away to something else that's coming. The one who does the will of the Lord abides forever. And Jesus, too, in Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, um, verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying here, amen. Jesus is saying here, don't store up for your treasures, for yourself treasures here. Those are going away. They're not eternal. They don't last. They're not going to be here in the, the kingdom that's coming, in the world that's coming. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where the things and the desires of that kingdom are imperishable. And so David tells us to look ahead towards what's coming. Um, and then he also tells us to, to look up. And so if you look in verse 3, uh, look up towards the Lord, towards Yahweh. He says, trust in the Lord, trust in Yahweh, and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And that word befriend, uh, it's, it's, it has a lot of different uses. Uh, one of the uses is uh, for sheep grazing in a pasture, feeding on the grass. And so you see this word used for both uh, righteous and wicked. You see that the, the unrighteous in Isaiah feed on ashes. Uh, but here, as we look up to the Lord, as we look to him, uh, we, we dwell in the land and we befriend, we feed on his faithfulness as we look to him. And it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your hearts. So we've seen that throughout the Psalms as well. Uh, but uh, we see that as, as we delight in the Lord that he reframes our desires from uh, desiring worldly things to desiring things of his kingdom. And whenever we desire the Lord, he, he reshapes our desires so that we have everything we need. He gives us the desires of our hearts. And so essentially this, uh, the fretting, uh, that's, that's repeated three times throughout this passage. Don't fret, don't fret, don't fret. That's a strong emotion uh, at seeing something that's, that's unjust. And so this right here, David is telling us to, to take that emotion and re redirect it to look forward to what's coming and towards God who is good so that we even delight in him. And so I love how uh, Spurgeon talks about this. Um, I had a piece of paper, but I think it's gone. Um, yeah, it's on there. So I'm going to have to read on off of this thing. But do you have a slide for that next? Oh, cool. Yeah, it's just big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me grab my paper. down on my paper uh, for whatever reason. Um, so Spurgeon, he says, uh, make Jehovah, make Yahweh the joy and rejoicing of your spirit. Bad men delight in carmel, carnal, 
carnal objects, do not envy them if they're allowed to take their fill in such vain idols. You, though, look to your better delight and fill yourself to the full with your sublimer portion. In a certain sense, imitate the wicked. They delight in their portion. But you, take care to delight in yours. I love that. Take care to delight in your portion. There's no room for fretting if we remember that God is ours. But there's every incentive to sacred enjoyment of the most elevated and ecstatic kind. So I love that there. Take care to delight in your portion that's yours in in Yahweh, in the Lord. So we we can delight in him and turn to him. And then also verse 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself again over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And so we look forward to the kingdom that's coming where there is no evil, where there is no wrong. We look up to God who is good and who allows us and calls us to delight in him and who gives himself to us as our our portion. But then also uh, in looking ahead and in looking up, that uh, produces a fruit within us so that we move forward and do good. And so uh, you can see that in verse threes. Again, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. So that's the fruit of looking forward to his kingdom and looking up and delighting in him is that fruit. Then in verse eight, it says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself for it only tends to evil. And so we see two fruits, the fruit of fretting, which lends only to evil and the fruit of looking up to God and delighting in him, which is to do good, how we were designed to live, how he made us to live. There are other Proverbs that say, don't repay evil for evil, but repay evil for good. And so that's the fruit here of looking ahead towards what is coming and looking up towards God's good character. And so uh, when we keep going uh, in verse nine, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And so that phrase there, inherit the land, uh, David uses that five times throughout the psalm. And so it's really uh, prominent. He, he wants that to stick. And uh, what, he's, what he's talking about there, it, it's an illustration used from the first five books of, of the Bible, the books of Moses, where God redeems his people out of slavery from Egypt and he's bringing them throughout the whole five books to this land. There's this land that they're always going towards. Uh, but David, in his, in his context, he is already in that land. He's for, the, for all of his life, he's been the king of that land. So God had fulfilled that promise. He had brought them to the land. He had given that land to his people. And so David here is talking about a future land that David doesn't even have as king of Israel. And so in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And so if that phrase, the meek shall inherit the land, if that sounds familiar, that same Sermon on the Mount that we uh, heard from Jesus about uh, laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven, he led off that sermon with a collection of sayings we call the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes essentially is blessed are this person and this person. The third one of those said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so in doing that, Jesus is quoting this psalm. He's pulling straight from this psalm. And so whenever we read here that David writes, uh, whoever shall inherit the land, we can be confident that he's not just talking about the land that he lives in. He's talking about a future promise that has yet to be realized. 
He's talking about that kingdom that Jesus initiated when he climbed up on that mountain and opened his mouth for that Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about that kingdom that Jesus brought in whenever he healed the sick and raised the dead and cast out demons. He's talking about that kingdom that Jesus sealed whenever he died and rose from the dead. He's talking about that same kingdom that we still wait for in fullness. He's coming back to instill once and for all. And so when David says, inherit the land, he's talking about that coming kingdom that he knows isn't, in, isn't here in full yet because he still sees evil. And so even as we wait, we get to delight ourselves in, in God, in Yahweh, our portion. And so how are we taking care to delight in him? And so this next section, uh, we see that uh, verses 12 through 26, uh, he kind of, David kind of transitions. Um, he shifts gears from more of imperatives and, and commands and how to wait on the Lord with a patient spirit to talking about the, the difference between the righteous and the wicked. And we see that the righteous, they have a hidden helper who is not super apparent. If you look at them from the outside, just considering worldly things, it might not be apparent that they have an advocate or a helper, but he is sure because of the kingdom that he has. And he tells you about it here in the Psalm. But then to the, to the wicked, uh, Yahweh serves not as a helper, but as a judge. And so, um, but there are several things that we can uh, uh, kind of pull from this as we see that as those who wait on the Lord, they have a, a hidden helper. We see that uh, those who are righteous, that they're, even though they might be persecuted, they're not forsaken. And so verse 12 says, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. Verse 14, the wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose way is upright. And so this is not kind of an accidental uh, consequence of, of evil. This is an intentional oppression from the wicked towards the righteous. And this is something that's honestly to be expected because we see that all the way back in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve first rebelled against God. You see that God, he promised enmity between the, the seed of the serpent and the seed of Adam and Eve. And so you see that enmity play out <clears throat> throughout the course of the entire story of Scripture. And so it's, it's to be expected that there is enmity between the righteous and the wicked. And so as we trust in God, that means at some point, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be persecution to some extent. Yet we still are not forsaken. The Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. And so uh, additionally, we see that uh, even though the righteous might have little to nothing, they possess everything. So verse 16, better is the little that the righteous one has than the abundance of the many of the wicked. So better is the little that one righteous person has than the abundance of all of the billionaires out there who have attained their wealth through evil means. And so uh, then in verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They're not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. So even though they possess little to nothing. They have everything because God provides it to them. Even in times of famine, they have it in abundance and can delight in him. 
And so that doesn't mean that all of the righteous have little to nothing. God also uh, blesses some of the righteous with material possessions. So that even in verse 21, it says, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives, uh, gives generously. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. And so how can they give if they don't have anything to give? So the difference between the righteous and the wicked here is what they place their value on. The wicked borrow and borrow and borrow without giving anything back, but the righteous give freely because their value isn't in their possessions, but it's in what they have in God, their portion. And so then also we see that uh, the righteous, they might be cast down, but they're not destroyed. Um, In verse 24, he says, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong for the Lord upholds his hand. And I love this because this is in the context of verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. And so the emphasis there in verse 23 is that the Lord directs the steps of the man who delights in his way. Amen. And in that direction, as the Lord directs his steps, though he may fall, as the Lord is directing the steps of the righteous man, he will walk into and fall into difficult times but he won't be destroyed for the Lord upholds his hand. And so you see the the sustaining sustenance of of the Lord. You see him helping his people through, even if it's not blatantly apparent in in the day-to-day affairs of this world, you see that they have a portion that this world doesn't recognize. The portion and delight of Yahweh himself, who is good and offers himself to those who seek him. And so the hidden helper here, he sustains the righteous, but then he cuts off the wicked. And so just to catch us up with the wicked, uh, in verse 17, the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. In verse 20, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. And so, honestly, I often kind of struggle with passages like this. Um, there's so much black and white here and the end of each is so dramatic. I mean, the end of the righteous is an unimaginably good kingdom where they get to delight in their portion of God who gives himself to them. They're sustained uh, and they are saved by Yahweh. But then on the other end, you have the wicked who will be cut off altogether They're going to be forgotten. He says several times, like, look for him. You saw him there once. Look again. He's not going to be there. In the future kingdom, they are completely cut off. They are judged. And so when I come to passages like this, I struggle because in my life, um, I see a lot of gray, honestly. In this passage, there's not room for gray. There's black and there's white, and that's it. And I think that also kind of gets my head thinking on how righteous must I be to be considered in the righteous and how wicked is too wicked. I mean, where do I fall? Where's the bar? Where's the cutoff line? I mean, I try to be good. I try to uh, do these things of the righteous, but I mean, I'm a big brother. I have a little brother. Everybody who knows what big brothers do to little brothers, I have done that to my little brother. (laughs) And the reason being is because he was poor and needy. It's just because I wanted to assert my dominance over him. 
But my brother and I are good friends now. We joke about some of the things that I did to him. <laughs> thankful for that. Um, he is forgiving and has extended his grace to me. Um, but I also have resources that God has blessed me with. Those are his resources. He has given me things. I try to be generous with those resources. But there are times when I'm too tired. Or, honestly, I see these resources as, as things that are mine. And so I withhold. I have other plans for those resources. And so I don't give generously. And so where is that line? I mean, the gray area makes me really nervous when reading songs like this. Amen. Thank God for Jesus. And thankfully, there is an answer to that. Because Jesus, he was approached by a student, and the student asked, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, rather than answering the eternal life question, he says, why do you call me good? No one's good but God himself. And there's two things going on there. One, he's acknowledging that there is nobody who is good. And that's not lost on David. I mean, David, throughout so many other songs, <laughs> he bemoans the fact of how not good he is. I mean, we have Psalm 51, we have Psalm 14, we have Psalm 53. Like there are so many Psalms where David bemoans that he is not good. And now in this song, we know that David's old. He knows it better than he ever did, that he, he's not good. And so yet the psalm is full of language of righteous and the wicked. And they're not idle words. The second thing Jesus was doing was he was subtly affirming that he is good. There is one who is good. And without him, this song is honestly kind of terrifying. But with him, this song is it's beautiful. That's because Jesus who's the only one who could truly be called a good. He suffered everything that the wicked in this song suffer so that those who are labeled with the wicked might be called and actually be righteous. And so this song, as terrifying as it is without Jesus, it's beautiful because of what he does in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, in suffering in our place and in raising from the dead, securing that kingdom. What he does is he flings the door wide open for any one of us. In Psalm 34, David said, this poor man cried out and, and Yahweh heard. And so that's him hearing is Jesus living a perfect life, dying on a cross, even being forsaken by God and raising from the dead and inviting any of these poor people to be counted among the righteous so that we have our portion in nobody other than Yahweh himself, so that we can delight in Yahweh himself in Christ through his work and through his accomplishments, none, none, none of ours, thank God for that, but through his work and through his accomplishments alone. And so the gospel of Christ makes this psalm beautiful because the help of the good and hidden helper is available to any who would seek it. And so with that in mind, David is encouraging the righteous, those who are in Christ, to wait on him with a patient spirit, knowing that they have a hidden helper because of the righteous one. And he, he, he encourages them to play the long game. And so this next section, 
It starts off in verse 27. It says, turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. You hear that repetition? Forever, forever, forever. There's a coming kingdom that will have no end. It will be here for forever. He's telling you to look to the long game. Look at forever. And so I love how uh, Paul sums this up in 1 Corinthians 4. Um, sorry, 2 Corinthians 4. Um, in verse 16, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So Paul is saying, playing the long game. Whenever you're looking back, this is just going to be a blip. Any discomfort, any amount of discomfort, any amount of suffering that you're experiencing now, that's a blip. And not only is it a blip, it's something that the Lord is using to prepare you for an eternal weight of glory that will have no end. Those who wait on the Lord will dwell and will inherit the land and there they will dwell forever. David's calling us to play the long game as we wait on the Lord. And then essential to the long game in verse 30, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is on his heart and his steps do not slip. That word for law, uh, we, we translate it as law, but uh, it, it means the entire story of God, the gospel narrative of God coming to his people who have rebelled against him, who are labeled among the wicked. Yet he flings the door wide open to invite them into his portion through Christ who stands in on their behalf. It's the whole narrative of God bringing us out of slavery to sin and death and to his good and perfect character where we have our portion in him and in his kingdom that will have no end for forever. And so key to the long game is remembering his story, coming back to his story over and over and over and over again. So how are we coming back to his story over and over and over again? For one, that's why we have each other. We need each other to remind ourselves of that story, of what God has wrought for us in Christ and what he continues to do, accomplish for us every day as he intercedes on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. We also have rhythms where we can be careful to delight in our portion, as Spurgeon says as well. How do we take care to delight in our portion? And then verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. And then in verse 39, salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. And so this uh, word for wait in verse 34, um, it carries with it the implication of enduring. And so uh, about 100 years before Jesus was born, uh, a group of Jewish rabbis translated the Old Testament into Greek. And this word that is used for, for wait in verse 34 is the same one that the author of the Hebrews uses for Jesus. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, endured the cross. He waited out the cross. And so this word here, as David is, is 
imploring us to be patient and wait on the Lord and play the long game. He says, as you play the long game, there's going to be a degree of endurance. It says you endure things that are difficult right now. But the beauty is that even though we endure difficult things right now, is that we have access to our portion, Yahweh, in Christ. David says in verse four, delight in him and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's not delight in him in the future. And he will in the future give you the desires of your heart. I mean, it will, that is very true to some degree because the kingdom is gonna be realized in a way that we can't imagine right now. But he says too, that he will give you the desires of your heart right now, even as you suffer, even as you endure. And so as we wait, when we notice ourselves getting worked up about evildoers, when we want to, to take things, when we want to do something about it, when I think of fretting, I think of this feeling that I get when I see something that's wrong and I have to do something about it. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to do everything in my power to make it right. That is what David says leads to evil. That is repaying evil for evil. Instead, when we, whenever we feel that uh, feeling welling up inside of us, we can wait patiently on the Lord and turn to him, looking ahead to his kingdom, looking to him in goodness and delight in him, redirecting those emotions to focus on him and his goodness because he is our portion and he gives himself to all who seek him. So how can we take care to delight in our portion even when we feel that desire to fret over the evildoers. Let's pray. Father, um, again, we're so thankful that you have brought us here and give us the opportunity to, to worship you. Um, God, I pray that as we go about our weeks and as we think about and consider uh, just the, the things that lie ahead, uh, we all interact with the world uh, that you've put us in in different ways. And in each of our lives, we see the effects of evil. And God, I pray that whenever we see those things, I pray that we would uh, turn towards you and reflect on your goodness and consider what you have done about that evil, that your answer to that is final and eternal justice, but it's also Jesus, who is a part of that, who is integral to that justice. And I pray that we would be able to see your justice and your redemption hand in hand in Christ. I pray that you would draw us to our redemption in Christ so that we can delight in you. Us who are numbered among the wicked might be considered righteous. And I pray that would be a sweet truth to us uh, as we go throughout this, uh, the various things that you have placed in front of us through, through this week. And I pray that even as we see evil, we would be able to consider your goodness to see how you've answered that evil in Christ. And I pray that even that you would bring more wrongdoers like us into your fold and make them righteous so that they can delight in your will and walk in your way to the glory of your holy name. God, uh, thankful that, um, that you have redeemed each of these poor people in this room. 
Um, and so thankful that you count us among the, the righteous. I pray that we would continue to take care, to delight in that reality, and uh, to soak in that truth that um, you make us righteous in Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.